Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to consultant physiotherapist for the European Tour Golf, Nigel Tilly. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So, great privilege to have on Nigel Tilly, who is the consultant physio for the European Tour Golf. So, great to get someone on from a, a different background. Although Nigel has come through um, traditional sports in football and a couple of other uh, through a couple of other roles, but it was great to get someone on from golf because I've never really had anyone on from. Uh, from golf and who works currently in that environment. So really interesting chat to see from my personal point of view, just the structure and how that kind of works with the with the physios on tour and what kind of access they get to the, to the players uh, and how they help them uh, through tournaments and, and day to day. So we go into lots of detail with regards to the screening of players uh, and where strength and conditioning fits into uh, Nigel's role as a, as a consultant physio. We also look at um, core stability and injury prevention for uh, golfers who are on the European Tour. Certainly golfers now are athletes, they're being seen as athletes and they're having to train as athletes. I don't think you can get away from that now. Uh, You only have to look at, again, the top 15, 20, probably 100, 150 players in the world and you could put them into multiple other different sports um, and they could excel at that. So just before we get into the chat with Nigel, just want to say a massive thanks to Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard and Groin Bar for sponsoring the episode today. So if you are interested in getting to know more about the Nordboard, if you don't know what one is and you'd like to know more, visit valdperformance.com. Uh, on the website, there's lots of information about the Nordboard and the Groin Bar. Uh, and be sure to check out their Twitter handle, which is at the underscore Nordboard. So we're going to get straight into the chat with Nigel and hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the pleasure in speaking to Nigel Tilly, who is consultant physio for the European Tour Golf. So welcome to the podcast, Nigel. Hi Rob, thanks for having me. Ah, it's good to have you, mate. So anyone that doesn't know who you are and what kind of things you do, do you just want to give us a little bit of background on yourself? Um, maybe a little bit of background on how you've ended up where you are today and maybe what you're doing today? Yeah, um, I'm a physiotherapist. Um, I qualified as a physio back in 2001 from um, the University of Hertfordshire, which was a great university. Um, I suppose my first sort of like um, introduction to, to sport or wanting to be involved in sport was back then when I was lucky enough to do one of my clinical placements at Ipswich Town Football Club. I uh, did six weeks there uh, back in 99, 2000, and uh, that really sort of uh, got me hooked on wanting to be involved in sports um, and wanting to have a career that kind of moved in that direction. After I qualified I worked in the NHS for um, a year or so before I kind of decided that I wanted to to get into sport as soon as possible and uh, I was lucky enough to get a job working with the Bahamas Football Association uh, living over in the Bahamas um, for a year and a half working as their head physiotherapist. So that was, that was a great uh, opportunity for me. I then came back and then had um, some work with uh, Hearts up in the Scottish Premier League. At that point, I, I decided to 
you know, further my education and did a master's in advanced sports physiotherapy at uh, Sheffield Hallam University and it was there that I um, met um, Rob Hillman who's the director of the uh, physio unit and uh, you know after studying with him for uh, you know the first year or two of my course um, I then started to do a bit of work with the European Tour and from then I started working full-time that was 10 years ago and uh, yeah I'm still in this uh, job now and I absolutely love it it's a fantastic um, organization to work for uh, and a great team um, and it's something which has been growing hugely over the last 25 years since it was first set up and uh, it now has 10 practitioners working at 35 events a year with a big mobile um, physiotherapy unit and we also have uh, two performance institutes, one in Dubai and one in France. Talk to me about the Bahamas Football Association. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. That was probably one of the best <laughs> best couple of years of my life. Yeah, so um, I bet. yeah, fantastic opportunity. Um, sometimes you know when you're you're first starting, um, you have to you know look at the very bottom and, and start there. And you know when I went to the Bahamas, I think they were something like 196th in FIFA world rankings, which was practically near the very bottom. Um, and uh, you know, very little money. There was very um, little sort of like um, staff or, or organisation there. The people that were there were fantastic, and I was very lucky to work with um, an English manager called Gary White, um, who was the technical director there, who's gone on to do some fantastic things. And yeah, it was uh, it was being thrown in the deep end, really. And you know, you had to learn on your feet. And really, the two of us were both doing maybe four or five people's jobs. Um, with a couple of others who were helping us, um, but it was it was it was amazing, um, and we were very fortunate that we had a great team of players um, who worked really hard. And I think in that couple of years that we were there, we saw one of the highest rise in FIFA rankings. I think we rose something like forty or fifty places. So you know that was really um, that was re really enjoyable to be in part of, and it gave me a great sort of foundation and platform to move forward with in sport. So this the unit that that goes around with the European tour. That's just a, that's a mobile unit that people that, that players can tap into. Because I'm guessing that players will have a or a lot of players will have a, a support team with them anyway. How does that work with what you do and what they have personally? Yeah. So the the European tour has the European tour physio unit and performance institute, and basically that's a service which is provided by the European tour for all of the players that play at any of the events there. So it's a, it's a huge um, unit and uh, infrastructure that's put in place. So we have a team of um, physiotherapists, osteopaths, chiropractors, sports therapists, um, and also sports medicine doctors, as well as teams of um, consultant surgeons, upper limb, uh, wrist, shoulder, elbow. And then we also have a team of radiologists that uh, we use as well. So what we're aiming to try and provide for the players every single week, wherever they are, is like a one-stop shop that helps look after all of their medical and performance needs um, and we offer that to any player that's there um, playing that event that week and we end up seeing the vast majority of players during the week. Obviously certain players do have their own people that work with them while out on tour at tournaments um, but it's not a huge amount. Uh, what we do see is obviously players when they're away, they have um, a lot of people that they may work with, coaches, um, S&C, physios, other such people back at, back at home and we obviously try and create good links between what's happening on tour and what's happening at home. 
it is obviously difficult because we have people from all across the world and you've got language barriers, you've got distance and travel barriers, you've also got different, um, you know, uh, people's theories and education on how people should be treated and how should people should train. So there's always, uh, you know, issues going on with how we best sort of merge their approaches and our approaches. But it's interesting, you know, um, and we're always absolutely uh, so busy week in, week out. Um, but, you know, where we work is that we work at live events. So players often have done a lot of the bread and butter of their preparation um, and what we're doing is really trying to help them maintain that um, and make sure that they can play on a weekly basis. So do you just want to give us a little bit of an overview of the, the demands of golf? I mean, I don't know how many people who are listening can work or have worked in and around golf, but I'm guessing that plenty of people play it. So to get just to get a bit of a, an overview from someone that's in it every day, just to, about the demands and... Um, yeah. And what goes into actually making train a golfer? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think one of the common things when people ask me what I do, and I say, oh, I'm a physio in golf, and they say, golf, but golfers can't have any injuries, can they? And it's like, <laughs> you, you know, you, you couldn't be further from the truth there. I mean, the demands on the body from playing golf are, are huge. Um, you, you know, the forces that go through the body are enormous. Um, and you're looking at, being able to generate, you know, club speeds and ball speeds that are some of the quickest of any sport in the world. Now, when you're looking at trying to generate those sort of speeds, you're obviously looking at potential for injuries um, and also the requirement of the body to be able to generate those speeds and forces um, in what is, you know, a very complex athletic movement that the body's very poorly designed to do. Um, so, yeah, when you sort of like put all that together and the fact that it's a repetitive um, asymmetrical movement that people are often doing, particularly, you know, professional golfers have been doing for 20 or 30 years, you can see that there is a, a huge potential for injury there. And we do see that, unfortunately. Um, and we do see that there is patterns of injuries that do happen um, in professional golfers and both amateurs. There are slight differences, but you know, the lower back takes a huge amount of force, as do the shoulders, um, elbows and wrists. And they're the key sort of areas where we end up having injuries and problems. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very demanding physically for the golfers um, on tour. They also have the issues that they are you know, playing 25, 30 plus weeks a year, probably in 20 different countries across multiple time zones. They've got the difficulties of jet lag. Um, nutritional requirements often become very um, difficult to get consistency within from week in to week out, as do sleep um, and hydration. Uh, and then also you've got the issues of different hotels, different beds, and then you throw into the mix they're trying to train like professional athletes and they're having to also play in live events 25, 30 weeks a year of which could be four or five, five or six hour days. You can see that it's a, it's a recipe for potential problems unless things are really, really well um, organised and structured and planned for. So just putting two things together there. So lower back, in, lower back issues, plenty yeah. of stress in your lower back plus lots of flying yeah, and lots of beds and hotels that you're not particularly used to. Pretty yeah. three things that you ideally wouldn't have all going together. How do you, as a, as a kind of a unit, um, try to 
minimize the risk of them three things adding up to a potential big problem, especially in low back, for instance? Yeah, I mean, th- there is no um, there is no set rule on what you, what we would do there. I mean, every person is slightly different, um, and the way that you approach every person would be slightly different. What you'll find is there'll be different groups of players, so there are certain ones at the very, very highest level, and they're able to be very selective on how they might plan their season. Um, plus, they may also be in a better position to be able to, say, have private flights or flights that meet certain times for them or be able to, you know, avoid huge changes in um, uh, time zones from one week to the next. And they may be able to cherry pick sort of 15, 20 events during the year that they play in, whereas some other players who are slightly lower down may not have that luxury and might have to play three, four, five weeks in a row and fly from Morocco to China China back to somewhere else and therefore you have different problems that may be faced by different golfers. I think one of the key things for us is is education um, and it's making sure that players are aware of risk factors um, and making sure that they're aware of kind of uh, things that they can do, things that they can avoid doing. Um, Simple things you know particularly with flying try and book a flight so you're arriving at least 24 hours in advance try and as soon as you're getting to the to the airport start living in the new time zone whether that be where you're when you're eating or when you're trying to get sleep so that you can acclimatize a bit more quickly you know avoiding caffeine avoiding alcohol when you're on the plane making sure that you're staying well hydrated these type of things that you know they sound very simple but a lot of people do often get wrong um and by trying to avoid some of those things, you can minimise the effects of the jet lag and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, those are the kind of things that we're always trying to push to players. And education will always be, uh, and prevention is always the best route um, with things like that. As far as when it comes to injuries and, and problems with the lower back and um, wrists and shoulders and things like that, again, education is key. And we know that there are certain areas where players are at more risk and you know when we look at things sort of like volume um, technique and load we try and make sure that they're aware that trying to keep that stable sort of plateau and not have huge peaks and troughs in the volumes and loads that they're hitting numbers of balls and training and things like that help to reduce the, the potential for overload uh, and also technique changes are a, a huge problem that we do find in that quite often players will change or have little tweaks within their technique and what they want to try and do at that point is often embed that technique um, and they feel that that's the point when suddenly they, they'll hit three, four, five hundred balls to try and repeat that new technique but they're putting that load through tissues which potentially haven't taken that before um, and we have to explain to them, you know, you need to take your time to build that up and implement those swing changes and technique changes over a period. If you suddenly start increasing volume, increasing load on a new technique, it's going to be a high risk factor for you. Um, So creating diaries so that they're recording exactly what they're doing on a daily basis and they're not having huge fluctuations, that's important. Um, And then also through the screening and uh, the exercise programs and rehabilitation programs that we give them, we kind of identify particular areas where there may be issues. And we do know that people that have hip limitations or limitations in the rotation of their hip 
uh, have a related incidence of low back pain. So particularly working on people's hip mobility and their thoracic spine mobility can have a, a big influence on uh, the, the problems they have within their lower back and their upper limbs as well. Could you talk us through that, that screening process? Um, yeah, I mean, there's the evidence... Don't out feel pressured to do anything. Yeah, no, no, no. It's um, screening, I guess, and uh, injury prevention is one of these things which is talked about a lot at the moment. Um, we've gone through lots of different types of screening and we've looked at, looked at lots of different models and uh, as is coming out in the evidence at the moment, there isn't one best model or one best screen and it's very difficult to um, to say by changing this, you won't get this injury. We look at kind of an injury reduction plan or an injury um, minimalization plan. And yeah, it's kind of a, what we've created on tour is an amalgamation of maybe five or six different screens in which we've taken out certain components which we feel give us the best information and reduced certain areas which we feel weren't giving us great objective measures and weren't really correlated well within what golfers um, presented with. But certainly we do know that if you do have limitations in the mobility of your thoracic spine and your hip, that uh, you are going to be potentially at a higher risk of having other problems. So they're key areas where we do sort of screen people and they're key areas where we do focus a lot of the mobility and the strength and stability work on. So I'm guessing, I know that there was tons of publicity around Roy McElroy's pictures about him squatting with nice thick uh, weights near the side of the bar. Um, did that do, did that have an impact on the kind of things that your that come your way on the back of that? From maybe a, not a professional golfer's type of situation, but... Um, did it have an impact on the the regular golfer that goes out on a a couple of days a week or on a on a weekend in a positive or negative fashion? Yeah, I don't know. It's difficult um, to say because obviously we're dealing with the you know the elite of the elite golfers that mm -hmm. are on the European yeah. tour, so we don't actually really come into that much contact on tour with those amateur golfers. I, I'm sure it is. I'd be very very surprised if there wasn't um, a carryover between the work that people such as Rory and Lee Westwood and Tiger and those sort of players have been doing over the last 10, 15, 20 years. We're certainly seeing that within the new generation of golfers that are coming through um, from the, the elite amateurs up into professionals. And I, I can think of one off the top of my head to be someone like Scott Gregory, who is an England golfer who's come through the um, England Golf Union and physios and S&C coaches like Dan Coughlin up there and you know the golfers that are coming through now they have learned from day one that strength conditioning is part and parcel of being a professional golfer and they come onto the truck and they're already got fantastic lifting technique they've um they don't need any teaching or training as far as technique and those type of things and it's really for us become much easier to introduce or to work with these new range of players rather than some of the older ones we've had to sort of like start from scratch whereas you know 20 years ago they picked up a club and they spent 10 years just hitting golf balls they've only just started moving in towards strength and conditioning or fitness training as an integral part of their golf whereas the new generation have learned that from day one so there is a change from that perspective 
I mean, it, it does frustrate us a lot that a lot of the mainstream press have seemed to jump on people like Rory and other professional golfers and question why they would be in the gym and why they would be getting strong. Um, and, I, and I think that is a bit of a, an understand, a, a lack of understanding of the demands of professional golf and the requirements of professional golf. And you only have to look at, you know, the top hundred and certainly the top 20 golfers in the world as an example they're all the people that hit the ball the furthest um and you know the two components of that are power and speed and they are powerful people with explosive power and, and huge amounts of speed and you know in order to to create that and to be up there you have to be training for it mm -hmm. i suppose it's one of the very few sports that I mean, like in football or rugby, you train you train for a career that lasts till thirty five max. But I suppose in golf, it could be double that. He could be he could be into fifties and sixties and still yeah, still out there doing his, doing your thing. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's one of the benefits of golf for the amateur, um, and that's one of the reasons why we're trying to to push the health benefits of golf is that you can play it from you know three to a hundred. Um, you know, in some way or form, and certainly within professional golf, um, you've got professional golfers well into their sixties that are able to perform and you know potentially beat people you know, half their age and younger. You only have to look at Tom Watson, who nearly won the Open at sixty. You know, um, or I think he might be even older than that. And it just goes to show that the game of golf is quite unique in that you can have lots of different body types and lots of different people that can compete on the same platform, which, which is why you do get some people out there, even in the modern game, who don't do any physical training because there are certain aspects of uh, the game of golf which don't require you to be powerful or strong. Um, and if you're a good chipper and putter and if your short game's good, you've always got a chance of playing really well. Um, and experience, particularly in events such as the Open or when you're playing Lynx-type golf courses, they are the sort where you can be creative and creative, skillful players who understands the courses and what's required of them and have certain touch can succeed really well amongst players who are powerful and you know have a lot of other physical attributes. Um, but we are finding that is changing. Um, golf courses are becoming longer and longer and they are designed for people that hit the ball further and further. So you're finding that there are less and less people out there who can avoid doing things such as physical training and strength and conditioning. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Nigel. Um, I hope you enjoyed part one. So in part two, we discuss more about uh, injury prevention for golfers and the core stability and how Nigel goes about placing them into placing them kind of exercise in different buckets uh, and how he integrates them into his day-to-day uh, -day work working on the European tour. So just before we get into part two, I um, just want to say another massive thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So three things I want to point out about Fatigue Science. So Sleep Tracker, which has um, a seamless data uh, acquisition from guys walking in with their ready bands on into a central location, so like a locker room with a central hub, and all that sleep data then seamlessly gets fed on, into that one, onto that one central hub, whether that be a, uh, an iPad or a laptop. 
Second thing, uh, API integration with numerous uh, asset management systems. And third one, uh, which I think is a, a great tool that these guys offer, which is the Schedule Optimization Service. So I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but Fatigue Science will have a look at your schedule and based on the, the data that you're collecting from your athletes, they will put forward some suggestions with how you can go about optimizing optimizing your schedule should you be traveling overseas on long haul flights, long haul bus journeys, etc. So make sure you check them out. So you can check them out at fatiguescience.com or on Twitter at fatigue science. So part two coming up with Nigel. I hope you enjoy. So you just want to give us a little bit. I know this, this isn't something that you are kind of directly involved in, but obviously been in around it you'll um i'm guessing you'll have a, a really good insight into actually what what strength and conditioning looks like for a golfer does strength and conditioning for a golfer look massively dissimilar to what strength and conditioning looks like for another professional athlete are they doing well, things uh, that are remarkably different it's an interesting one and there's it's not a straightforward yes or no i think you have to take everybody as an individual um certainly golfers now are athletes they're being seen as athletes and they're having to train as athletes i don't think you can get away from that now uh, you only have to look at again the top 15 20 probably 100 150 players in the world and you could put them into multiple other different sports um, and they could excel at that uh, I think there has been a huge trend in the last 20 or 30 years for pl players to become more powerful, explosive, uh, and they hit the ball harder and more force. Uh, again, that could be why we're seeing a few more injuries and the types of injuries, stress fractures and rib injuries and things like that. Um, but the training now has to reflect that. Um, and we're definitely seeing golfers um, doing and you know, a lot of things such as Olympic lifting. Um, and when you look at Olympic lifting, you know, put simply, that kind of involves structured lifts that move a weight quickly and both require and develop the ability to generate power, and that's exactly what's happening in the golf swing. So um, we are seeing golfers doing Olympic lifting, um, and the movements that are in involved in Olympic lifting, are, you know, they're complex and they require good technique, mobility, control, and strength, which is a great carryover to the complex golf swing. Um, so we are seeing a growing number of players using this um, to improve the, you know, their power, their ground force development and explosive triple extension. And that type of training involves fast movements and, and a lot of sporting activities within sort of 200 milliseconds use that and golf is very similar to this. So it's no surprise that golfers are using things such as traditional Olympic lifting and really that type of training is creating um, the foundation um, for the modern golfer. Are you seeing, and this is not to increase or create the divide between the physio and the S&C coach, but are you seeing things that are happening in the gym which, kind of like Olympic lifting, that obviously has big um, emphasis on wrists and, and, and kind of tiny, small things like that that may have a massive detrimental effect to the golf and technique yeah i mean with this type of training if we take say something like olympic lifting there are a lot of golfers doing it and there is a risk reward and that's the same for anybody that's using olympic lifting you know um and there may of the all the players on tour only be a small amount of players that might be suitable 
um, and capable and even benefit from doing the full spectrum of lifts through the full stages of Olympic lifting. Um, and, you know, we have to take players on an individual basis and we, you know, work with S&C coaches and coaches and identify those players and kind of build them up through those stages as we feel is required. Um, yes, there are certain there are certain parts of Olympic lifting that are going to be riskier and what we may say is that they may only work through certain stages that they feel capable of or that aren't putting certain areas such as the wrists um, under even more load than they already have on a daily basis. So uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things and for every player that says they don't like doing it, there'll be a player that says they do like doing it. I think you just have to work on the individual basis. There are lots of ways that you can change things very slightly that still get the benefit from this type of training without potentially the risk on those those structures mm -hmm. and the, the next point was everywhere you look or everywhere i've looked um with regards to snc for golfers the the one thing that you all that always kind of gets mentioned is core training core yeah. stability core training core strength whatever however you may define it do you just want to give us a little bit of a um Bit of a physiology lesson, really, and why that is so important for a golfer. Yeah, um, so we we talk a lot about the core or what is the core, and I think people often get a bit confused and think the core is just your six pack or your abdominals, but really the core is everything from your sort of like through your trunk, your back muscles, your core, the connective structures between your neck and uh, what links your, basically your, your upper limbs and your lower limbs, and I think that's vital because within the golf swing that area really is the pillar it's the pla platform for connecting your feet through to your hands through to the end of um, the golf club which is hitting the ball and so we spend a lot of time trying to get golfers to become more stable more robust um, and stronger through the core uh, with the golf swing you've got two kind of key areas you've got the acceleration and creating that acceleration and you've also got the deceleration and creating the or being able to, to decelerate and control those forces so our core training tries to work on on both of those elements um, and what we do try and do is a lot of this anti-rotation training at the moment and I suppose something like a, a pal-off press would be a good example of that uh, what we do find is that golfers spend a huge amount of their time rotating um, and often people try and then spend a lot of their training time mimicking the golf swing uh, and I think that can be you know, a detriment sometimes and we try and spend a lot of our time working on building you know, a general foundation um, of, sort of strength, mobility and stability and getting that done properly before we start looking at any exercises that may mimic the golf swing. Um, and they should be sort of like added afterwards to complement this underlying sort of athletic foundation and fitness training and not replace it. So so we, we do work hard on it and there are a multitude of different ways to do that. And we particularly like using exercises that do link the upper limbs, lower limbs with the actual core and being able to control that. So dead bugs, those type of things, um, pallet presses like I was talking about. There's, there's lots of great things out there, um, being able to control that deceleration. 
So this is this is something that's come up quite a few times with the kind of sports specific mimicking mimicking the actual um, the technique itself. Is that when you say you may move towards that in the future? What may that look like? That is what your class is more sports specific. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, you know, often people will go there and they just think they just have to do movements under resistance that are the same as the golf swing, and that's you know often the wrong way to do it. Um, what we will probably try and do maybe introducing things that look at using components of rotation and a great example would be something like medicine ball throws and things like that um, there's a, a lot of benefit that can be got you know using medicines medicine ball throws as a as a training tool but we would always make sure that they had that underlying foundation and ability to control those forces and the movements which are going through the body before they went on to something like that. Um, uh, I think that the, the biggest thing for us is making sure that their tissues and their structures of their body are capable of dealing with the loads that are going through it. And often we see people now that want to train fast, they want to train quick, they want to train heavy, but they haven't got the ability to tolerate those loads. And that's where we're finding that we do see people who jump into strength and conditioning training and don't have the right education from the strength and conditioning coaches um, or don't have the right inputs at the beginning suddenly go too fast, too quick, too heavy, and they haven't built up that foundation to move on. And I think people think you can suddenly become strong and fast very quickly but the reality is it takes a very long period of time to be able to create uh, that platform in which to add load and speed so that's something as well that we look at is educating people and making sure that they are aware of what should happen and how long it does take and I think for a lot of people <laughs> that's one of the, the downsides when they go what this could take 12 months this could take 18 <laughs> months and you're like yeah um, that's how long it is and they go oh, I thought I thought two weeks and I'd be there <laughs> and it's like no so when it comes to obviously if they're gonna if the golfers are gonna be on tour for a huge percentage of the year and actually playing tournaments for a huge percentage of the year what kind of things may they be able to do in season that can kind of main enable them to maintain what they've built in the off season throughout the in season because i'm guessing that's going to be the a real um tough situation for golfers who are playing a hell of a lot of, of tournaments yeah this is this is a real challenge for golfers you know they and that's where it's vital that they they do get this or like underlying um you know preparation and foundation during the off season so that they've got something there in place already and we do find that is a problem for golfers in that they struggle in being able to you know progress um, or move forward from that and often the, the maximum they're doing is able to trying to at least maintain what they've got or trying to minimize that loss and that is difficult um, for the golfers you know you play four five six weeks in four or five different countries the nutrition uh, you know options for them diminish rapidly their opportunities to be able to train diminish rapidly you're often in you know climates that are very hot or humid dehydrating so they're, they're issues that we do have what we have 
done on the physio unit, the mobile um, truck that we have over the last two or three years is um, invest hugely in the equipment that we have on the truck. So we now have lifting platforms and a lot of platable weight out each week so that players are able to come and use that for a lot of their strength and conditioning work. And that has made a big difference in helping players week to week, not just actually train um, and do that, but also in a lot of the type of training techniques they use for activation and preparation work before they actually play. And it's all about planning as with any of this is for professional athletes and particularly with S&C, it's, it's having a day-to-day, a, -day, a weekly plan and trying to stick to that as best you can. Of course, in golf, it's, it's difficult because there are so many demands on a day-to-day -day basis on their time. Um, and with a week after week after week after week schedule, finding those days in which they can actually do something constructive uh, it is tough. Um, but, you know, if they miss the cut they end up having a couple of days extra. If they have a week off, there are times when, if it's well-structured and well-organized, they can get acute periods of periodization where they can do something and you know, at least maintain what they've got or potentially add something to what they've built up in their off-season. Mm -hmm. No, all good, mate. Well, I'm just um, going to round up there. And I, just, I just wanted to... Kind of highlight the, uh, the the Twitter handle of the the unit itself. Would you just a little bit to talk through kind of um, why that was set up and the kind of things you share on that side of things, as well as your personal Twitter stuff, and why you think it's probably. I mean, we chatted about this before, and I'd be interested to kind of get it on air. Why you think it's so important for coaches to be in touch with social media? Yeah, so we set up our, our, our Twitter and Instagram and, and website a few years ago now, um, kind of just as a way to let the general public and other S&C coaches, physios, people within the industry have a better idea of what's happening at all um, with the, the sort of the elite golfers, and, and also to try and help push the uh, the importance of fitness and strength and conditioning within the game of golf uh, and the health benefits of golf of which are, are many and that's a drive of the European Tour, the, the RNA, the PGA is to try and encourage people to take up golf and to see that there are multiple health benefits of golf so there were lots of reasons why we decided to you know, develop um, the social media that we had and to actually put out some of the content that we've got and to create content using the knowledge that we've accumulated over the last sort of, 25 years working with the, the world's best golfers. So those are the reasons why we, we created the Twitter account. And it's, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's been something which has been growing and it's helped us to engage with the public, with communities, with professional golfers. And because we are, uh, uh, you know, a worldwide organization playing events you know from one week in china to the next week in morocco to another week in spain and then the uk it gives us a, a good platform in order to keep in contact with all of these people um, and that's the benefit of social media now and we were talking earlier about why social media has become so good and so important for healthcare professionals snc coaches and coaches and it really does give an opportunity to see firsthand what people are doing around the world very, very quickly. And things are changing and trends are changing and new research is coming out on a daily basis. 
And whereas 20 years ago, you know, it took years and years and years for that information to get out or to be, um, you know, incorporated into mainstream practice, we're seeing those sort of things happening very, very quickly now. And that's the, the benefit of um, social media. And certainly for me personally, the opportunities for CPD and things such as this, you know, being able to talk to you or listen to lots of different specialists within their area very quickly and very easily is hugely beneficial in people's ability to develop quickly. And that, that's, a, that's a great thing for us to be able to do and to, to push the work that we're doing on tour. Mm -hmm. So what the, what's the Twitter handle of the, the unit itself? So the, the Twitter handle for us is ETPI underscore physio unit. And that's the same for our Instagram. And our website is www.etpi.com. And it just has a lot of information and content about uh, exercises and the work that we're doing. We try and make it very player heavy as well so that the general public actually get an idea of what the world's best golfers are doing on a day-to-day -day and a week-to-week -week basis. No, that sounds good, mate. And what's your personal Twitter handle? Uh, my personal Twitter handle is uh, Nigel underscore Tilly, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sure it will be, mate. I'm sure you'll have got that down. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for your time, mate, and I really appreciate your insights into um, what's going on tour. No, thanks for having me. I hope it's been of some use and some interest to people. No, absolutely, mate. 100% has, and it's it's something that we haven't had on uh, or haven't had on the podcast with regards to golf, so it's been great to get an insight into, uh, into what's going on. Great. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks, pal. Speak to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to episode 134 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Nigel. So great to get someone on from a different sport, I mean, in golf. And I'm quite surprised we haven't had anyone involved in, on, in golf before, but it was great to get him on nonetheless. So another massive thanks to Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard, and Fatigue Science for sponsoring the episode today. So make sure you check them out at valdperformance.com and fatiguescience.com respectively. So I've got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player and I will speak to you in the next episode.